0: Let's talk about a struggle many of us know all too well, losing weight. Remember those days when everyone was on a juice cleanse or just basically hangry all the time? That was no fun for anyone. Well, there's a better, more sustainable way to shed those pounds. Today, I want to introduce you to RoeBody. It's not your typical weight loss program. Instead of all the gimmicks, they offer access to the most popular weight loss shots on the market.
1: Low everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's show where I welcome Dr. Stephen Furlich. And Stephen is a professor and researcher at Texas A&M University. He has taught and researched nonverbal communication for over 20 years and is the author of the new book, Nonverbal Epiphany, Steps to Improve Your Nonverbal Communication. And today's conversation with Stephen was fascinating. Of course, we talk about nonverbal communication, Communication And we cover a lot. And obviously, this is going to be important for improving your relationship, whether it's your romantic relationship with friends, family, co-workers. And we cover a lot of the, the research and the biology of how we receive and give nonverbal communication and some things that you probably have never even realize that that are going on. For instance, how our odors are communicating with others and a lot more. I really enjoyed today's conversation. I think you guys will too, and you'll find it valuable to improve the relationships in your life. As always, thank you so much for tuning in. Enjoy today's show. Hi, Stephen. Thanks so much for joining me on the show today.
2: Thanks, Chase, uh, for having me on, Ian. I'm excited about talking about this topic of nonverbal communication.
1: Let's start by talking about the general principles of nonverbal communication, and then we'll dive into some more specifics as it relates to relationships, gender, and a few other things.
2: Okay, good. That's a good place to start because one of the things that I think everyone should have regarding nonverbal communication is a general understanding of some principles that apply to most uh and pretty much all situations to have a more accurate understanding. If you don't understand these general principles, then the specifics um aren't gonna be of much use as well. So just briefly a little bit about how I came about to write this book was an undergraduate, I took a nonverbal communication class, same thing in undergraduate. In, uh, in graduate school as well. And then, um, I've taught nonverbal communication as a class at a university for over 10 years. And I started out using, um, a text, different textbooks, and I couldn't find anything that, uh, met my needs that there's popular culture books out there about nonverbal communication, uh, a plethora of them, but they're applied, which I like, but they're not really that research based. So how credible are they and how accurate and precise are they? And then on the other hand, using textbooks from academia, um, it's heavily researched, but how applied are they? So that's why I try to do in my book is combine the two, have stuff that's research-based, but that's applied, that people can use, and then also sprinkle in some biology. And then one of the biggest things I want people to take away from my book, Nonverbal Epiphany, is to improve their nonverbal skills, the way they send it and understand it as well. That's why I have an activity at the end of each chapter that they can actually apply. So now jumping into the principles. Uh, One is that there's a mind and body connection. So I think a lot of times people are under the impression, and rightly so, that our nonverbal communication reflects what our emotion is and can be a reaction to the communication interaction that takes place. So whatever emotion you have, you tend to indicate that with your nonverbal communication. But what people are less uh, familiar with, but is just as important, is that our nonverbal communication can actually create the emotion as well. And I have two uh, examples that I think would help uh, make it a bit more uh, concrete for people.
1: Yeah, please. I'm super curious.
2: So one is, and I cite her in my book, her last name is Cuddy, C-U-D-D-Y, and she talks about the, the power pose, and she did uh, numerous experiments and found rather consistent results. But one is where she had people who were part of the experiment team or um, people who were uh, objective in the situation itself. They were going to evaluate people during an interview process, and they had two different groups. One group was they did a power pose prior to the interview, and the people who evaluated them never saw that they were doing the power pose um, prior to the interview. And then the other group didn't do any power pose at all. So the group did the power pose. That consisted of having your legs a little bit uh, wider apart, having your hands on your hips and your elbows out. So it's more of an expansive type of posture. And what she found biologically that was it created – the emotion itself that it increased testosterone levels, which gave people more confidence and it lowered the cortisol levels, which is the stress hormone. So not only increase their confidence, but lower their uh, stress and people on group A uh, were rated as much more uh, uh, credible and more likely to get that job that they interviewed for than, uh in, in the second condition. And again, the people who did the interviews didn't see who was who was addition but the people took on the they displayed their nonverbal behaviors up another example is uh th- they had uh, th- a different study out there um they had two groups so they had a large uh sample size and two groups and group a uh they had uh the participants put a pin in their mouth and in group b do nothing in group a they rate their emotional experience as much more positive and much more of um, an enjoyable experience itself. So what's the difference? Well, in group A, they put a pin in their mouth, and what's that do? It creates a smile. So by creating that positive facial expression, they take on that nonverbal emotion that they display. So that's the other half, the other end, that people need to keep in mind. That's just not a reflection of your nonverbal behaviors, but they actually create the emotion that you want. So if you're feeling stressed, or if you have something, a, a large presentation, you could do um, one or both the power pose or smile right before and put yourself in a more positive type of uh, uh, emotional state. I love that. Another um, uh, principle that uh, people should keep in mind, and this is something I think people um, are misguided with, that often, too often people rely upon one nonverbal behavior and then they um, over. Judge or over evaluate the meaning of it. So just because someone doesn't make as much eye contact or just because they touch their nose doesn't mean that they're being just uh, um, trying to be deceptive. What I always inform my students of is that nonverbal communication is like a puzzle. You You put together the individual pieces of the puzzle. And then what do all those individual pieces add up together? And then you make an informed decision and not just overgeneralize from one nonverbal behavior. And on that note, pieces of the puzzle you're putting together is how do these different factors, um, how do they influence people's nonverbal behaviors, such as the time? So when uh, maybe early in the morning, late at night? Is it a holiday? Is it during the work hours or whatever? The context itself, so is it in public or is it in private? And then the people themselves, um, what's between them? Is it someone who they are familiar with or is someone who they just met for the first time? Is it family members or is there a power difference maybe in the office? And then lastly, uh, what's the subject itself that's being discussed? So all those factors together are going to be different dynamics are going to influence the nonverbal behaviors differently, even though it may be the same subject that's being talked about. Um, one thing that uh, uh, people in the general public um, actually do unknowingly, rather correctly, is that they put more weight and emphasis on the communication itself, come up with some sort of um, uh, bottom line on the nonverbals over the verbals. So if something is inconsistent, or something's just being emphasized much more so nonverbally. People believe that much more so than they do verbally. And that is correct. That's the right thing to do to place more emphasis on the nonverbals because that's often a more truer indicator of uh, people's true intentions. And then lastly, you want to understand what someone's uh, normal nonverbal behaviors are and then um, see if they're being different based upon the uh, change of the topic. So you usually want to start out with something that's um rather mundane and something that is um that they are more likely to be truthful about. So maybe it's about the weather, maybe about sports, um the latest person that Taylor Swift is dating, something like that. And from that um normal conversation, uh, then go into something that's more specific and something that you may um have some hesitance about of how truthful they are. So those are some general principles that apply to most situations, most people that to have a good understanding of nonverbal before you go into the specifics.
1: I love it. I'm just scribbling notes because there's there's so many interesting things there in directions we could take this. I want to go into other areas of nonverbal, but first I want to ask you some questions and, and highlight some of the things you said. So I think in the context of a romantic relationship, there's so many little nuggets here. And I'm thinking of when you said putting emphasis on nonverbal cues and situations where someone will verbally apologize and say, I'm sorry. And tone is obviously verbal and it's in there. But how are they doing that? Are they looking at you even when they do that? Are they doing it from a, a loving place? And why we've had full episodes dedicated to apologizing because there is a way to do it sincerely and and that will help your relationship. And there's ways to do it where it can almost hurt it because it's not sincere. Can you talk a little bit about the nonverbal cues, maybe as it relates to apologizing?
2: Okay. Um, I can do the relationship part first. And then secondly, on that note, I could uh, dive into uh, deception as well to see how genuine is it actually itself. So for relationships, um, one of the biggest indicators, uh, just to back up, this is just just something I want to throw out there just because it's of interest, that um, before relationships start, um, chemo signals play an important part. And this is sort of, this is true, but sort of humorous myself that I'm just throwing out there, that females, they sort of sniff out their partner, and they uh, want these uh, at a subconscious level. They want to smell genetics that are different from their own, so that it increases the likelihood of a healthy offspring, because, again, everybody has recessive genes that um, are detrimental, so you don't want to have two people with similar genes and have those recessive genes that are expressed. Um, so oftentimes females are more attracted to someone else who has different genes just by smell alone. And what often happens is, again, before we go into relationships, is that females they often give a subtle cue, some sort of nonverbal indicator that they're interested in the male. So it could be standing closer to him, um, longer periods of eye contact, playing with her hair. Uh, touch, whatever else. And this is what as research has found with the um, uh, dynamics of the early stages. And I think that us males, we don't pick up on it and we don't know what the uh, process is. But what research has shown the healthy process is, is that the female shows these nonverbal subtle cues. They expect us to pick up on it. And then they expect us to take the lead after that shortly afterwards and try to escalate the relationship with them so oftentimes if we don't pick up on those subtle cues and if we or if we get complacent and we don't um escalate the relationship they become frustrated lose interest and then move on so tying it back to uh, a <laughs> relationship and apology that you're talking about one of the biggest indicators uh, of relationship health tends to be mimicry So the positive nonverbal behaviors that each person displays with each other. So um, if both partners are mimicking each other's nonverbal behaviors, they empathize with each other. And what that does is two things. One, it activates similar areas of the brain. If you're doing the same nonverbal behaviors, then you sort of need to use similar areas of the brain to do so. So therefore, you have a more similar type of experience as the other person. So you empathize with them better. The other thing that it does, it increases oxytocin levels of both people, that bonding chemical. So, again, you feel a, a better connection to the other person, but also you empathize and understand where they're coming through, uh, coming by as well. Just a, a little bit of a sidetrack from that with mimicry, something that uh, maybe with holiday parties or something else you could keep an eye on. Um, there's been found, and I discussed this in my class just the other day, there's a negative correlation between someone's um, mimicry and um, their love for their partner when the mimicry is with someone else. <laughs> <laughs> so um, if uh, you're in a relationship with someone, person A is in a relationship with person B, and person A has a high uh, level of uh, mimicry with person C, who they're not in a relationship with, that indicates a lower level of love for their uh, person B that they're in the relationship with. So, if you're at a holiday party, a couple shows up, and one person and the couple is mimicking someone else who they work with, co worker, friend, whatever, their behaviors, uh, maybe there's something going on. And maybe that's an indication that it's not going so well in that relationship. So, um, one of the thing, another thing is um, with uh, we're talking about sincerity of an apology is touch. So, it's been found that uh, conflict communication, um winds up outcomes are much more positive if there's touch prior to it, so maybe an embrace, maybe a hug, maybe a hand holding, maybe an arm around the other person and again that increases the oxytocin level touch does so that bonding chemical increases and they feel much more of a bond between each other and you empathize with the other person and understand where they're coming uh from as well um one of the things that's um uh has been found, it's much easier, again, because, and we could go on this in a second, that females are much superior with nonverbal communication and understanding of people, and there's biological reasons for it. So it's much easier for her to adjust her nonverbal behaviors to the man than for the man to adjust his nonverbal behaviors to her, um, probably because we just don't pick up on nearly as well as what she does. Um, so it's easier for her to adjust it. Um, and then in uh, couples therapy, this is something to keep in mind as well. That early on, a good barometer again is how well or how much each person is mimicking the other person's nonverbal behaviors early on. That shows progress, positive progress in the therapy. If they're not mimicking each other's nonverbal behaviors, they're doing uh, different ones or negative ones. And that's indicator that you got a long ways to go. And something else to keep in mind is, and you probably want to break this, if one partner is mimicking the nonverbal behaviors of the therapist and not their partner, then that's um, also that they're not focused on their partner like they should be, and they need to reroute it back to what their partner is. So wrapping that up, empathizing with the other person during an apology, you could mimic behaviors, you could do that with touch uh, prior to it. Um, you could do that, uh, through therapy and, uh, mimic types of behaviors. Um, you could do that through, um, a closer proximity with each other, standing closer to each other. Um, something else that I talked about in my class the other day, and it's, uh, somewhat of interest is the difference between a romantic kiss and a non-romantic kiss. So a romantic kiss, both people tilt their head to the right side, whereas a non-romantic kiss, is to the, uh, 50% to the left side. And um, I'll talk about this just for a few seconds. It's sort of humorous. How, how did you come about this? Uh, I'll understand uh, the younger generation, but on YouTube, there's videos, and this is how the researcher did. They just pulled up YouTube videos, and people meet for the first time and kiss, and then they record it, and he just went through those recordings, the uh, researcher did, and 50% of the time, uh, they uh, turned their head to the left side, which indicated a non-romantic kiss, and then went through other videos of people in relationships or whatever else. And almost 100% of the time, uh, they're turning their head to the right side for a romantic kiss.
0: Before we continue on, we're going to take a short break to tell you about our sponsors. No complicated routine, just simple, scientifically validated solutions. If you're looking for skincare products that are simple and effective, for a limited time, you'll get an exclusive 15% off your first One Skin purchase when using the code IDO when you check out at oneskin.co. I've been using OneSkin's body lotion for about a month, and I've already seen noticeable improvements with small wrinkles and textures on my skin, specifically on the back of my neck and the back of my hands, two places where I get a lot of sun. Plus, my skin looks and feels healthier all around. Do you want to know one of my favorite meals? It's a slice of toasted bread with tomato, mozzarella, basil, olive oil, salt, and pepper, and a little drizzle of balsamic glaze. Makes my heart happy. It's so simple. It's so delicious. And I love that all the ingredients get to show off their individual flavors. I used to eat it
1: There's so much here. I want to just go to the, the most recent thing and kissing. And I, I thought about the head turn is very interesting, but I thought about just intentionality and like, how fast are you doing it? Like, what is your presence? And that's all nonverbal. And it, and it means a lot, right? Like if you're in a relationship and you're going through conflict and then you heal it and your partner or, you know, you think you do and you're like, let's kiss. And they just kind of give you a peck like, you feel that. And Uh I think underlying all of this nonverbal communication is what we're really doing is bringing it to our conscious minds. Because a lot of what you're talking about, we just, we do unconsciously and it's important to pay attention to. But I think where we can really make an impact and improve our, our own lives by just smiling when we're feeling bad, for instance, takes intentionality. And so if it's smiling, when you're feeling bad or smiling at your partner, when you come in to indicate warmth and that you're happy to see them. And and if you're not, that's okay. But then we got to go to verbal communication. But yeah, just, it, it's so interesting to to put a lens on these things and to think about talking or if you're at a, or, or kissing rather with with intention. And if you're at a holiday party and you're chatting, standing close to your partner, maybe touching their arm. Those are Subtle things that make a big difference in why I'm so excited to talk about you because I think we don't put enough emphasis on them,
2: yeah, one of the things that uh you talked about, and I think this is uh sort of what I'm trying to get at in the book is one awareness is what you're talking about, also uh empathy, not understanding communication from your perspective but from the other person's perspective um, uh one thing that um what you talked about as well is smiling and how that plays a role. So what is really, um, important in relationships nonverbally is emotional contagion that often you take on the emotion of the other person. And also what's been found, what's of interest as well is that sometimes your partner takes on the emotion that you expect them to have. So it's not necessarily what they, um, are inclined to do or not necessarily what they, um, are going to do, uh, just naturally, but oftentimes they're influenced by maybe that the way that the other person communicates to them or, uh, maybe their nonverbal cues that they're, uh, getting off, uh, that they, uh, are, um, becoming aware of, but they take on the emotional state that is expected and not necessarily that they have. So what their partner expects them to have. And one of the things that I, I felt um, well, the book is nonverbal epiphany, that was an epiphany to me actually, is that oftentimes our um chemo signals and or odors that we give off um often influence the behaviors of other people around us. So if it's fear, happiness, anger, off certain types of odors during those interactions. And those odors actually influence the nonverbal behaviors of other people. So in a relationship, it's not just two individuals, but there's a big overlap that each person is going to influence the other person's nonverbal behaviors, which is going to be one big circle back and forth through emotional contagion and the expectations that influence their emotional uh, experiences as well.
1: That is fascinating. And it just popped into my mind's eye, this idea of what we're talking about, of, you know, our initial understanding of physics and what's happening on a subatomic level, right? Like we have this idea of what reality is. And then actually, it's quite amazing and and beyond what we could even comprehend. And (laughs) that's a, a whole other thing. But this whole area of nonverbal communication is Yeah, it's I I knew some of these things and I knew the odor thing, but but it's just bringing it back to my awareness of like, wow, in relationship, we take things for granted, you know, just like walking into the room of our partner and what our state of emotion is. And even if not one single thing is said how much we are influencing the relationship based on our posture, whether or not we're smelling and our odor, <laughs> that, mm-hmm. you know? And so, yeah, like it seems like the, the most important thing here is because you could drive yourself crazy in, in a sense, trying to micromanage everything, but is intentionality and, and starting with, hey, I, I realize... I am influencing my partner, my friends, my family, my coworkers without even talking. How am I carrying myself? And doing that's probably gonna make our odor better, more, more receptive. Can you speak a little bit to the action part of that?
2: Yeah, I think that's one of the things that I try to do in the book is you're doing these activities to improve your nonverbal awareness and your own abilities so that it becomes automatic. So that it becomes natural. So one thing that you just talked about walking into a room, what is universal across all cultures and has been around probably, you know, for across time as well, is that when you first meet someone or you first come in uh, visual contact with someone else and uh, you're happy to see them is the eyebrow flash. So in less than a second, you raise your eyebrows really quickly and lower them. And that's a friendly indicator that you're happy to see the other person. And if they're a friend or a romantic part of whatever, they should reciprocate that back to you as another friendly signal. And you see how the emotional contagion can take that. And you can intentionally do that. You can intentionally train yourself to do an eyebrow flash to whoever. And you can also train yourself to notice that as well, that when I teach my class, um, people... Uh, the students aren't aware of that until we bring it up. And then in social situations, they become aware of it. That's automatic from other people. And it gives you a good indicator about who's happy to see you, who's not. And then secondly, something else, um, it's been around for a while, uh, pupil dilation. And, um, what happens from a physiological, uh, um, approach is that when you see a stimuli, you come and across to a new stimuli, you know, it's something that um, you're familiar with or whatever, but it's new to your visual field right now. Your pupils will dilate automatically and take in more of that sensory information to make sense of it, you know, very quickly, less than a second. And then if it's something that you like, they will stay dilated. And if it's something that you dislike, then it will contract even more so than what they normally are. So for um, centuries, um, back in the Far East, and then I'm sure a lot of people are familiar, salespeople are familiar with it now. Jewelry salespeople were aware of that. And, and that's probably why you see poker players as well. So if you have three pieces of jewelry out there, A, B, and C, and you're a buyer, you're going to have glasses, sunglasses on because you don't want the price jacked up on you because your people. Pupils dilated on which piece you want. Um, and other people, other person noticed it. Same thing in poker tournaments. You see that they always uh, wear sunglasses, and that's probably part of it as well with pupil dilation. You have a good hand, your pupils dilate, you have a bad hand, um, uh, they contract. And just a side note on that, there was a study that was done, and, it's, um, what indicates if someone has a good hand or not? How confident are they in it? Usually the extremities are more difficult to control than your face. Or you're not as aware of it. So how they place their bet. So with using your hand, um, how confident are you when you move your chips towards the middle of the table versus how confident are you if you're trying to bluff and you move those chips into the uh, middle of the table. So that could be taken uh, again to a social situation, the extremities. Where are people's feet pointed? Are they pointed towards their partner, the person they're having a conversation with? Or is one foot pointed towards the door because that's what they want? They want to leave? Or is one foot pointed towards someone else who they have more interest in? So the extremities are often a more genuine indicator than sometimes facial expressions are.
1: Have you watched uh, Chimp Empire on Netflix? No, no. Okay. Well, maybe our listeners have, but I'll share, you know, we evolved from from chimps and and they have this whole big scene where this group of chimps in the jungle are hunting and they talk a lot about the the nonverbal cues that are going on and they don't know exactly but a group of a, a dozen or more chimps are clearly coordinated, but they're not making any noises. But they're looking at each other. They're moving in a certain way. And it's really amazing all, all these things that, that you're talking about. And that's just us. And it's almost like we've lost that because we can communicate and it's super important. We don't pay attention to that. But but in fact, there's so much that can be said through what's happening. And and these chimps were doing a whole complicated movement through the jungle to hunt without saying anything they were being covert they they wanted to be silent and they're spread out and there's trees in the way but the, you know and who knows if there are smells that they're, they're also communicating with it's really really fascinating stuff and, and you know the whole eyebrow flash thing as you come into a room that you mentioned and and yeah and it's like as we hear these things at least as i hear them i'm like yeah of course like i do that or now i want to make more of an effort to to acknowledge a friend that that's coming into a party, or, or whatnot, or a partner, of course.
2: And, and it's been found with the uh, uh, pupil dilation that um, oftentimes, if your pupils are dilated, then the other person. Uh, looks more favorably upon you and more friendly. They often return it as well. So uh, advertisements often do that with pictures where they artificially dilate uh, the pupils because then that makes your pupils dilate and make you and makes you like that picture even more. So, um, centuries ago, women used to use a dye and it's in my book. I forget the name of it off the top of my head to artificially, uh, um, uh, increase their uh, pupil dilation. And then eventually wow. they found out it made you go blind, so they stopped using.
1: <laughs> that. <laughs> wow, that is fascinating. Yeah, eye contact—I mean, they're windows to the soul. We say that for a reason. Like we can read so much there. But I would also say, and, and I'd like to hear your point, and you—you've touched on it, but to understand these things, but not to make assumptions. You know, because one of the things that is so interesting to me through relationship is to see how different people communicate non-verbally and verbally, but we all have our own histories and trauma and and attachment styles that lead us to act a certain way. And I found that certainly listening to my intuition, but trying not to make assumptions and then to read the non-verbal cues. But when I'm confused or not sure to verbally ask. And and that goes to, I think it's important to mention like consent, obviously, like if you're dating and you're picking up on all these cues and certainly it's interesting that, you know, the girl is twirling her hair and she seems very interested. You know, but not to like make assumptions and to, to ask for consent is a big thing. But in relationship, let's say you are dating and you're getting to know a person to not read too much into these things to a point. And and you mentioned earlier, like to understand a, a certain person's particular pattern and then use that as a catalog and still communicate.
2: That's That's a good point. Um, also, uh, when I think you're talking about, um, in terms of, uh, understanding someone else and empathy, this, that and the other, um, I have in there, uh, a real smile versus a fake smile and how to distinguish between the two. So with a real smile, it usually, uh, to create. So actually making the smile last longer and a fake one is much quicker. Also, it has more symmetry. So it's more even on both sides of the mouth. Um, Whereas with a fake smile, there's usually asymmetry, and it's usually one side is maybe higher than the other. Um, The cheeks are raised higher, and also the big one, the biggest indicator is those crow's feet. So you have the wrinkling on the side of the eyes for a a real smile, whereas with the fake one, you don't necessarily have that. And with the real smile as well, um, it's usually that you just show the top of the teeth, uh, your top teeth, and you don't show the bottom ones. Whereas with a fake smile, you show more of the bottom ones, and that's more for laughter. So, taking that into account, you could sort of get an indication of who's having a genuine smile in your presence and who's having a fake smile. And you can see that in professional settings, the fake smile. Um, you can see that maybe on an airplane with a uh, store maybe a restaurant with a server. And then, if you look at uh, models, um, And pictures and images and things like that, they often use the fake one. Why is that? Because that's their moneymaker, their face. You can't uh, go through several hours every day of doing a real smile, having these crow's feet show up on the side of your eyes. That's going to actually create the wrinkles itself. And your modeling career is going to be shortened as a result. So if you look at uh, models and magazines or whatever, um, you see that they often uh, do a fake smile versus a real one.
0: Before we continue on, we're going to take a short break to tell you about our sponsors. Hey, Love Tribe. I just want to ask you a few questions. I want to know why you guys are here. Are you here because you want to stop bickering with your partner? Do you want to feel truly heard? Are you looking for ways to reignite your sex life? Or do you want to feel more emotionally connected with your partner? And let's not forget about the fun. Do you long for those fun, giggly moments at the beginning of your relationship? Over the last decade of hosting this podcast with Chase, these have been our top questions. And we get it. We've been there. And that's why we created Spark My Relationship course, because we wanted to put the tools to unlocking a fulfilling relationship right in your hands. So we're offering this course, Spark My Relationship, for only $100 until April 6th. In less than 90 days, this self-paced course will help you create more passion, improve your communication, and build a stronger, more intimate connection with your partner, all while having fun doing it. We've collaborated with over 15 psychologists and therapists to bring you the strategies that marriage therapists teach their clients. This offer is only going to last until Saturday, April 6th. So head on over to our website, sparkmyrelationship.com, and use the code FLASH24 at checkout to get the course for only $100. That's nearly 60% off, and it won't last. The sale ends April Six. That's sparkmyrelationship.com and use the code flash24 to get our course for only $100. Hey, Love Tribe. I have just a few questions for you. I want to know why you are here listening to the podcast. Are you here because you want to stop bickering with your partner and you want to feel truly heard? Or are you looking for ways to reignite your sex life? Or do you want to feel more emotionally connected with your partner? Or do you just long for those fun, giggly moments of connection that you used to have at the beginning of your relationship? Well, over the last decade of hosting this podcast, those were the main reasons people tuned into the show and we get it. We've been there. So we created our course, Spark My Relationship, because we wanted to put those tools to unlocking a fulfilling relationship right in your hands. We're offering $100 off our course, Spark My Relationship, which is a self-paced course designed to help you create more passion, improve your communication and build a strong more intimate connection with your partner and have an amazing time doing it. We've collaborated with over 15 therapists and psychologists to bring you the strategies that marriage therapists teach their clients. So to unlock this special offer of our course, our listeners can visit sparkmyrelationship.com slash unlock to get $100 off. That's sparkmyrelationship.com forward slash unlock.
1: You mentioned there's biological reasons that females are superior in nonverbal communication. Uh, can you talk a little bit about that?
2: Yes. So, with um, biologically, uh, it's been found for years and even decades consistently. That uh, females from an early age are superior at uh, empathy and nonverbal communication, understanding other people, and also sending their messages as well. So just at an early age, uh, what we have interest in, that uh, girls at a young age, just a few years old, they look at faces much more and for longer periods of time. Whereas with boys, we usually look at objects and trace objects. So they have uh, more interest in social interactions themselves. Um, One of the things that, as far as I'm concerned, the science has already settled that uh, females, their brain, they have more connections across both hemispheres. Whereas with us males, we have more connections within each hemisphere. uh, Females also have more white uh, brain matter as well. So what that allows is having more connections across both hemispheres and more white matter. The white matter helps the different areas of the brain communicate with each other. So you not only connect, to each uh, different areas of the brain, but it also communicates to the different areas of the brain. So it helps her engage in the conversation, talk about the topic at hand, but also analyze the other person's nonverbal behaviors at the same time. So she may have, and she also has during social interactions, more overall brain activation as well. So she can engage in the conversation. She can have her emotions being activated. She can understand the other person's emotional state analyze their nonverbal behaviors. She could talk about what previously happened, talk about her own emotions, much more, much better than what we can because we're more compartmentalized. But also us males, we have uh, adult males uh, typically have 20 times uh, more testosterone than what females do. And testosterone has been found to hinder social ability. So what do we usually have testosterone with? Um, aggression, strength. Um, individualistic types of behaviors and one person has 20 times more, you can see how that could be detrimental to understanding and empathizing other people. Whereas with females, they tend to have 20 times more estrogen than what males do. That's highly related with uh, social understanding. And one uh, aspect of it with estrogen that has been highly correlated with uh, hearing ability so being able to hear different uh, sound variances, a larger range. And what's that do? Um, when she's at her peak reproductive years, that's when her estrogen is usually highest. And that's when uh, you reproduce and she needs to understand the nuances of the baby's cries, to understand what they want. And then when um, the hearing ability isn't as important because of the offspring, that's when menopause kicks in and estrogen decreases and um, you're less to reproduce as well. So you can see how um, biology uh, kicks in and plays a factor in that as well. What's been interesting is that there's been numerous studies that actually play out the nonverbal superiority of um, understanding for females. So they've shown the pictures of the eyes only. So just the top of the face of the eyes, pictures but to uh, males and females. And females outperform there's no competition in terms of identifying what the emotional state of that person is compared to what males do just by looking at the eyes. Same thing with touch. They have like a curtain set up and then you reach across the curtain, you uh, feel the other person's hand. And again, females outperform and there's no comparison in terms of identifying the emotional state of the other person just through touch alone and um, feeling the other person. Uh, color vision. Um, it's been found consistently that on a much larger uh, range itself that on the spectrum, uh, females can see different shades of color, much better than what males can in uh, color vision. Part of it is explained that it's on the X chromosome. So if one person has two X chromosomes then the person only has one. You can see how uh, that person would have better color vision, uh, different shades. In, in my book, uh, there's an image that uh, cracks me up. One of my favorite images it has like a boy on one side a girl on the other and it has all these different color shades and then it shows the whatever five to different colors that he sees and then for her the 20 or 30 different shades within that she sees so we actually uh, literally see the world differently and females also have more p cells in the retina uh, that's responsible for color vision and and then just lastly on vision itself Uh, There is a old saying out in the uh, animal kingdom that those that like to hunt eyes are in front and those who like to hide their eyes are on the side. So a lion, they have their uh, eyes in front and then like an antelope or a deer, their eyes are on the side. They like to hide. So for us males, we're much more comfortable when we communicate with someone, um, uh, having them face uh, uh, straight up because that's what our vision is. That's our best vision is straight on. Um, in front of us. Whereas with females, if a female is talking to a male, oftentimes they'll steam to the side of the male because their peripheral vision is what is more superior for them. And that's what they're more comfortable with as well.
1: Very interesting. Yeah, there's there's so much in there. I'm wondering, I'm curious, you know, I, I'm thinking of intuition and intuition is just this a feeling we have about a situation or a person and how much of intuition is just the subconscious reception of all of these cues, you know? And I find in relation to some some things that have happened in, in my life in the last couple of years, particularly, maybe you can just comment on them, where a male friend and I were commenting on how he and I felt we had a good intuition as to the integrity of other men. And we live in a small town and there had been some things where these guys just rubbed us the wrong way. And we would say just how we would interact with them, how they would talk, touch, all these nonverbal cues, basically. We found that in a few instances, and again, this is all anecdotal, but that our female friends, some picked up on that, but some were like, oh no, they, they seem like a great guy. And then and more often than not a, a situation, it would turn out that the guy had, you know, they were not living with the most integrity. And, uh-huh. and this is in relation to their relationships with women in particular. So are there any things that, because you're saying that women have basically a greater ability to read, but is that, Across genders and is this just a completely anecdotal situation that you know correlation does not equal causation
2: uh my guess might be you did you and your friend spend more time with them than what the uh women did, or not necessarily
1: not necessarily and and again some individuals could just i I have felt that i have a my intuition is usually pretty strong and my friend as well, and maybe. We're just picking up on these cues, but I was wondering if there was any more like you know biological research that would suggest that men are more receptive to other men when it relates to to maybe intentionality around women I don't know
2: uh it may be something that uh uh that kicked in that um off the top of my head maybe that uh you pick up on threats much better, and maybe you saw them as. You know, something as a possible threat in terms of the way that they treat other people. And there is some research that does support that, that men do pick up on it on, on threats, maybe sometimes a little bit better than what females do. So I think maybe in that specific instance, um, because that's what, you know, genetically passed down for generations. Is what the male role was as a protector. And there is some evidence to support on that specific emotion of threat that maybe males are superior in some uh, instances as opposed to, uh, you know, across the spectrum of all emotions and all situations, maybe that, uh, specific, you know, hone in on that specific uh, context in, you know, specific, uh, instance, uh, quite possibly that's the case. That'd be my guess.
1: That's interesting, and that makes sense because the feeling that it brings up in these instances is a protector feeling. And yeah, it's, it is a feeling of it's not jealousy. It's not any of that. It's like this situation, and this person is a threat. I don't know exactly why, but I'm picking up on an energy, you know, nonverbal cues, a way that they move through the world that is indicating them as a threat. And like I said, I've I've been unfortunately right on a lot of these in the last couple of years. And I've also been trying to cultivate my intuition and listen to it. And so, yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. Um, Very interesting stuff.
2: So I I think that's what it is. It's due on that specific uh, emotion and that specific situation in terms of threat, maybe males and sometimes are uh, superior. Whereas when it comes across the spectrum of all emotions, that's when... Overall, generally speaking, maybe uh, females are superior. We could talk about uh, deception really quick if you want to. Yes, please. So for professionals, and this is just indicate how difficult it is to accurately predict if someone's being deceptive or not. So you have like police officers, FBI informants, CIA, um, whatever, interrogators, they're only about 60% accurate in terms of determine if someone's being deceptive or not. These are the people who have not read my book and that's why I'm just kidding. (laughs) But um, there are some things that you can look at to see if someone's being deceptive or not Uh, biologically. And I'll throw this out here as a caveat, just because I think it's the uh, sample that they used and not necessarily because it's something that is off. But uh, for what they found for right-handed people, because it's so difficult to get people to uh, participate in studies, so that's why they say for right-handed people, that if the person looks to the left while they're recalling something, that's usually truthful. and If they're looking to the right, that's usually something that's fabricated that they're trying to imagine. Um, Something else is that uh, they usually furrow their eyebrows, so they usually lower them. Uh, while they're talking about something, they usually uh, leave out sensory information or less of sensory information because they didn't experience it at all. So they don't talk about what things look like, the colors, smell like, taste like, this, there, and the other. Oftentimes, people rehearse a lie um in the order of uh, what they go in. And to recall something out of order is very difficult for them. So if someone... uh A couple, one person goes out, the other one doesn't. And they said they met friends, went out to eat, and then saw a movie. It's difficult if you start asking them. Um, So they met, went out to eat, and saw a movie. You start asking them about uh, going out to eat, where they eat, what did everybody order, uh, how was it. Uh, what was the environment like? So sensory information, you start the middle and then you go back to the beginning. So where did everybody meet? Did everybody meet on time? Uh, did everybody meet at one place and then maybe uh, skip to the end? What movies you see? How was it? This, that, and the other. So out of order is difficult. Lack of sensory information. Um, and then also, um, where we talked about the baseline. This is something that's interesting. Most people are, uh, uh, misguided by this. So when it comes to eye contact, what do most people think when it comes to deception? They think people don't make eye contact when uh, it's deception. Research has found the opposite to be true, that people actually maintain longer periods of eye contact when they're trying to be deceptive, probably because they know that's what people are looking at. That's what popular culture, movies, and TV talk about as well. So they artificially try to come across as being genuine by maintaining longer periods of eye contact. What you need to keep in mind is that it's a daunting task to be deceptive, that it's cognitively difficult to uh keep track of what you said, to make sense of what you're about to say, and keep that going in a consistent order that nothing's out of place. So therefore, what's been found nonverbally. And this researcher, Bergoon, I cite her in my book. she's well known. she's you know a big guru in nonverbal communication. She has found out that what people do when they deceive is they do fewer nonverbal behaviors in terms of um, a variety. so they use fewer variety of nonverbal behaviors, so they do the and they do it um, over and over, the same ones uh, more. Often. So they do simpler behaviors and they do them more often. So they don't do a bunch of extravagant ones a lot of times, and they do the same ones over and over and over because it's so cognitively demanded that they're more focused on what they're saying and less on their nonverbal behaviors. So they just repeat their nonverbal behaviors over and over, and they're less spontaneous. Um, that, uh, Their uh, um, nonverbal behaviors are more restrictive oftentimes, and um, it doesn't come across nearly as genuine as well. So those are a few things to keep in mind uh, when you're thinking about uh, deception itself and what are they looking at. So if uh, if you have three different options out there. What they're looking at is more truthful um, in terms of what they have interest in, as opposed to, let's say, I I have a lot of interest in A, but I'm looking at B. So that's another indicator as well.
1: So interesting. And, And we covered a lot here today, Stephen, and, and I really appreciate this conversation. We could do a whole podcast series on it, all these different areas of nonverbal, but I, I think we we covered a lot and gave our listeners a lot to think about. Before we wrap up, can you tell our listeners where they can find you online and if there's anything you want to leave them with as far as how to to think about this in the context of their own lives and their relationships, and then we'll say goodbye.
2: So the best place to get my book is to go on Amazon, the books category, and then just type in my last name, Furlich, F-U-R-L-I-C-H. And then it comes in all three formats. It comes in paperback, ebook, and the audiobook. And then the last thing that I want to uh, touch on, and this is sort of my opinion that's based upon the evidence itself, that I think oftentimes us males, we tend to oversimplify things. And we take things much literal by what we actually uh, hear. Whereas with females, I think sometimes maybe they overcomplicate things and maybe they overanalyze things because they have so much more um, uh, stimuli to go off of and sensory information to the process than what we do. So the subtle cues that she communicates, we're not going to pick up on. And when we don't uh, um, uh, disclose as much emotion from us, and we don't pick up on things, she needs to understand because we're not as equipped. And it's not that we don't care or that uh, we're emotionally uh, removed. It's just that we're just not as able to do so. So we oversimplify and maybe sometimes they overcomplicate.
1: Beautiful. That is a a great way to frame this deep and complicated area of our sociology and biology. And it's really fun and interesting to, to think about and to talk with you. So thank you so much, Stephen, for coming on today. We'll have the links to your book in our show notes and on our website. And yeah, I really appreciate the conversation.
2: Thanks, Chase. I enjoyed it.
0: how much or how little you want to do with your partner, or maybe just yourself. So we hope you guys check that out. It's sparkmyrelationship.com forward slash unlock. Have a great day.